Welcome to another episode of Dev Shop Stories. My name is Josh and I have Tanner here with me and Spencer. And today we're going to share a story about code reviews and why they're important. So the story begins like this. We had a small dev shop and we were developing a mobile application. And of course, in this mobile application, when certain things happen, we wanted to have text messages being sent out. And so this developer was working with a software solution called Twilio that can actually send text messages out. And what he did was he did some code changes and some modifications, and he just pushed it right into production code. And when he was testing it in, in the production environment, which is obviously, there's a couple things wrong with that sentence I say right there. He was testing in production and he didn't do code reviews at all. What happened was he introduced a bug that created an infinite loop and he wanted to test it with his own cell phone. And so what happened was, is he received text messages out the wazoo, just massive amounts. You know, in in one minute, he received over 13,000 text messages in a minute. So much so I wasn't there. Tanner was there. But so much so that his phone just basically bricked. I mean, it just yeah. like completely froze up, couldn't interact yeah, with it Yeah, he at couldn't all. do anything. It totally locked up. Yep. And, and so just that, but here's the thing on, as a business owner side of things, each one of those text messages costs a penny. And so within one minute, he had spent $1,300 in text messages because of non-code review, testing in production, and and bugs that were introduced. So. You know, that's the story to begin with the code reviews here. Yeah, lack of them definitely can cost real money. Yeah. And the sad thing was, is he he never told me. I only saw it on a, you know, invoice. I was looking at bank accounts. I'm like, why why is Twilio charging me like, you know, 1300 bucks or whatever? And I went and talked to Tanner here and he's like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, this bug came up. I thought you were aware of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm surprised there was that like spam. uh, filters in place that would prevent like his phone breaking or you getting charged no but he had so a, much. at the time it was like the latest iphone and it locked that bad boy right up yeah it's great so we're gonna spend kind of the rest of this episode talking about code reviews what they are what are the benefits and you know tools that could help you with code reviews and so code reviews what are they spencer Oh, what it comes down to is code reviews. It's it's being peer reviewed of having your code checked over by another person. That's that's really all it comes down to. And you you can have various processes in place where it's you just need one person to review. Do we'll go over code? Do you need two people? Does it have to be a, uh, someone more superior to you? It, you can come up with all sorts of rules, but that's really what it comes down to. It's peer reviews. Yes, yeah, Tanner, what do you think? Yeah. So yeah, if, I mean, for those that don't know, it's the the way that it works when you do development is you have this repository that lives in the cloud and you pull that repository down to your local machine and then make a branch off of it. So you kind of fork whatever this is, for lack of a better term, and uh, work on your code. When you're done, you commit it into the repository and then try to merge it back in to that main branch and that repository living in the cloud. And in that that merge process, you can put in some restrictions and one of those is the code review. And like Spencer said, it's it's getting a second set of eyes to go through and just sanity check oh, a whole bunch of it. It's just that peer review process to make sure that people aren't making large architectural changes or whatever, right? Yeah. Yep. Or, or if they are doing something where they, they can justify it, yeah. you can have a conversation. Yeah, exactly. It's like a stopgap to let you have that dialogue on those changes that are going to take place. So it would have prevented you know, theoretically prevented, you know, this uh, $1,300 bill, 
or whatever that that we got hit with, you know, assuming that the other developer, me in that case, would have caught it. You would have caught it for oh, sure. I absolutely yeah. would have caught it. Definitely. <laughs> so things that we're looking at in, in a code review, let's talk about that for a second. So we're obviously looking for those bugs, you know, those infinite loops that could happen or, you know, just in, invalid stuff. But there's other things that we're looking for. We're looking for consistency of coding. So if you've created a sort of a style guide at your company that your code has to be formatted in a certain way, you're looking for that. You're also looking as kind of educational moments too. I know I've commented on people and I said, hey, you don't have to change this, but just so you know, you could do this a little bit better if you did it this way, you know, and, and, and try not to be overbearing in it and say like, nope, you have to do it my way. But here, here's one way, an alternative you could think of it. And then you're, like I said, you're looking for those coding standards, uh, the right capitalization, the right indentation, which if you use things like prettier, you know, you don't have to look at that as much, right? Yeah. With code reviews, it's part of our development process. We have clean coding where as, as we code, we want our code to be read like a book so that you can jump in the code and there's certain things make sense as you read it. You know, your Josh kind of hit on like variable names. Do they make sense? And it, it helps maintain that code hygiene uh, for lack of better words, where it's just. Yeah. It's a, it's a good opportunity to, to target and identify some things that otherwise could be technical debt, right? Yeah. And clean up some of those items. It's like, Hey, does, does this method make sense? Are you putting in guards on your code so you fail early and it's more readable? Logically, does this make sense? Can I look at this function without having any greater context of what this project is and know what this is doing? Or, you know, is it is it ambiguous? Is there something else? And one one valid check that I think that that happens is the person that's code reviewing is not as intimately familiar as you are with that section of code that you obviously wrote, right? And so does that make sense to the code reviewer? Was he able to read it and parse it and understand it? If not, you know, should things be named differently? Should you extract some of the code into helper functions that that helps describe and, and self-document? Because we we are not big on adding comments just to help describe the code. Only comments where you're you're kind of deviating from the path of norm and you're explaining why you deviated kind of thing, right? Yeah. And kind of a point I wanted to bring up too with, with code reviews, it's a great time too to find these kind of issues because the longer poorly organized code exists in code or... Architecture. The, kind oh, of, yeah, yeah. The, the longer bad architecture exists in code, the longer bugs exist in code, the more expensive those problems become to either fix or change later. And uh, it could really start to slow down the progress on a on a project as it gets later. And now you've got these huge architectural problems that could have been caught earlier on, but. Right. And so some of the other benefits of it is it kind of keeps everybody aware of the changes that are going on. So you're going to make some change and you put it out to the group of the people that are working in that, in that software, that subsystem, and it keeps them aware of what's going on. I remember specifically, we were starting a new project and Spencer kept hounding me of like, hey, you know, you don't have any code reviews. <laughs> I didn't see your code yeah, review. I haven't done it yet, you know, kind of thing. And I, I get now what he's saying. I was like, no, I'm not done yet. I don't want to submit it. I don't want to have a code review yet. But but he wanted to be aware of of kind of my thought train, my process, so that if there was maybe some improvements we could do, he could actually comment back on that, right? Yeah. It's not just about finding bugs and fixing, you know, your code or getting somebody smarter to look at it. It's it's a training tool too to get other people understanding what your thought was. So yeah. And it is nice though. I mean, if you do, if you build something like it's hard to stay consistent on that when you start off a project because it changes so quickly, building on what, you know, theoretically could be a rocky foundation, those bugs and those issues propagate very quickly. And kind of what you had pointed out, Spencer, they're a pain in the butt to pull out. So some people might say, well, 
like code reviews, that's just going to take more time. It's going to cost money because you have developers doing code reviews. What do you what do you have to say to that, Tanner? Yeah, people, I mean, that's always going to be the initial argument is like, oh man, well, I need to spend my time coding. It's like, well, A, it's a learning tool, right? It doesn't matter who it is. You're always going to learn from somebody. It helps with the quality, the cleanliness. Absolutely necessary. There's not an excuse not to do them. Yeah. I've worked on teams or companies where code reviews aren't enforced or aren't valued and trying to introduce that. It's you get a lot of kickback from project managers, developers, maybe even senior developers who've never done them. Yeah. Now, in your specific case, you told me a story of how code reviews only went one way. <laughs> yeah, I that. was on one team where uh, it was basically, you know, somebody who had ownership of the project, very tight controls. It was um, so I need code reviews just went one way. And so then it was never a learning opportunity for me of, OK, now you're changing code, too. And I should have some insight of what's changing or offer some maybe my own suggestions, too, and not just six months later, like, when did this get written? So basically the, the person over that would code review your code, tell you what you did wrong. But when he did code changes, you never got to see it. You, no, those you just never went got straight a chance. In, yeah. yeah, they just went straight <laughs> in. Because, yeah. So. Well, and then you get that. It The nice thing too is that it, it enforces that, that checks and balances where you don't test in production like we've talked about previously, you know, like people do. We have a couple projects that we've worked on and there isn't anything, right? We enforce it on our side. And if you can't enforce it on the repository, well, then like you're you're still leaving that that open gaping issue. Yeah, you definitely have to take advantage of the tools that enforce it because it's very even I have moments where I it's like I just need this to get in. I don't I don't want to get somebody else to look at this right now. The tools that enforce it, then you have to. Yep. So speaking of tools with GitLab and GitHub, just for those listening, you have kind of different ways of doing code reviews or, or initiating them, right? With GitLab, they call it merge requests. And so you're requesting to merge code into it. In GitHub, they call it pull requests because usually their methodologies, you kind of fork from a repo that's open source and you're asking the the maintainer to pull your code into theirs. And so same thing, but it, it initiates a code review. And the, the tools that are built into these web platforms are amazing. They they show the the code directly right next to each other. They show what's what has changed, what was added, what was deleted. And then they allow a very simple UI to be able to click on a line and write a message and say, hey, what are you doing here, right? Yep. Yeah, it, it makes the dialogue very, very targeted and explicit. It's really easy to see. You have all of the file changes. You get, you know, what changed. It, it really gives you a lot of context um, on that thing. Now, one thing I think as well that's uh, really beneficial is you can actually put some restrictions in there on both tools where it has to be approved by certain people explicitly or a certain quantity of people or whatever you want to do. And then it's per branch too. So you can have these different rules that take place depending on your, what environment you're working against. Yep. Yep. Uh, GitLab, for example, has kind of different classification of users. They have reporters and those are people that can just create issues and tickets and stuff. They have developers and those are the people obviously that can code and they can do stuff, but you can put lockdowns on the next level up is maintainers. Maintainers are the ones that can actually influence protected branches. So you can mark whatever branches you want. Usually it's like a master or main and a dev branch. And you can say, hey, only the maintainers are allowed to accept merge requests into those branches, right? And what I like about GitLab is that it shows you can create all these comments and you can submit them all as one code review and just kind of have your overarching message on there. You submit that, the developer, they just get one email saying, hey, so-and-so is just code review. 
go and clear it up. And then the developer will either go and address every single comment, either with a code fix or if they they believe strongly or if it's just a, a general question, they can just comment right back right there on GitLab and be able to kind of counter or, you know, approve, you know. Yeah, but it forces that resolution and it forces that conversation about whatever ambiguity or question or whatever came up. And we, we say that all of those comments have to be resolved before we allow the code to actually get merged in. And the resolving, this is one problem that we have with some people that come in is the person that's going through it, they think that, okay, I fixed it. I'm just going to click the button and say, this is resolved. I think it should be the person that originally created the comment that is the one that that actually says it's resolved because maybe that code change that they did to fix it still wasn't right. Yeah, you know? I've had several of those where we've gone back and forth because it's like, hey, what you did isn't satisfactory. Like it, it's an improvement, but it's still not good enough. Yep. Yep. And so other tools that I've seen people use is CodeStream. Yeah, uh, we tried that one for a yep. little bit. And that's a plugin that you can put into VS Code or into PHP Storm. And it kind of allows you to to share snippets of code and do all this kind of stuff. Eventually, I r- removed the plugin. I just felt it was very taxing on the system. It just really didn't provide the benefit there. We didn't get a, a full buy-in from all the users. So not everybody was using it. And so it just overall, just it, it wasn't a tool that we use. Yeah. Now there were some benefits to it, right? Like it keeps you in your IDE and not takes you out to the to the cloud platform and stuff. But well, and you could share with that, you could share code snippets without it actually being a formal code review tool. Yeah. Right? yeah. But, but yeah. But it, like I said, it was kind of a cumbersome tool too. Yep. And and if you can't get the whole team on it, there's not a there's not a point to use it. And then yeah, it happened to be a little heavy. And it wasn't enforcing it at the repository level, which is where where you really need it. Is so. Let's go a little bit deeper into kind of what is looked at in a code review. So the first thing I can think of is it allows you to read and understand without a lot of context what it's trying to do. Is is kind of what what I'm looking for. So that change there, I should be able to kind of just look at the little snippet and not have to expand the entire file just to understand what's going on. And is it you know basically do that through clean coding techniques. Yeah. Yeah. And for us, uh, for me, the the very first thing that I, I want to look at is we use TypeScript. So I check types. Are you using your types? I don't care about what it's doing. If you're not using your types, I'm kicking it back. I don't care. And if it's an any, you're probably going to. I'm kicking it back, kicking it back unless yeah. you have a very good reason. And even in then it's not valid. Use a generic. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah, Alex uh, is developer that we have here. And he remembers a quote that I said to him. I said, if you if you write a any in your code, the first thing you should do is slap yourself and then, <laughs> then write your, you know, any in your code. So yeah. Yeah. What, what else do you look for, Spencer? Yeah. I like when I first get look at a code review, I like to look at what they're trying to do. There's a, when they make the merge request, they have a message of what they're trying to do or description. And before I even look at the code, I like to imagine like, okay, how would I do this if I was trying to solve the same issue? And I'm trying to look for that. Okay. Does this, how does this compare to my thoughts? Sometimes it's very close and sometimes it's wildly different. And if it's wildly different, then it's like, okay, is this better or does it need to be uh, reworked? And so, yeah. Now with that, I will say that what they are doing does need to be cohesive uh, with the the ecosystem, with the environment that they're working in. Yeah. Um, now there may be better ways to do it, right? But if it's totally out of left field and it doesn't follow the same kind of coding conventions, that the regular code base is, I'm much more of a proponent that it follows the standard of the code versus something way out of left field. Well, and like 
somebody doing a big refactor and also trying to fix bugs in the same merge request, it is so hard to read because you lose that cohesiveness. It's like, okay, what's really going on here? Or what are you actually changing? Well, and that's a really good point is your merger views need to be small. You should do one thing, right? Like what is this one ticket that you're working on? Just do that and keep it small and concise. The worst thing you can do is have these huge, you know, thousand plus line changes. Well, then the description on those is fixed bugs. Yeah, exactly. They suck to review. One one thing that I personally look for is my kind of my position in the company. I get to oversee a lot of different projects and I've worked on our core framework that we use in a lot of these projects. And so I've usually have a better feel for things that we've done in the past or other groups have done. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of look at some code and sometimes see, Hey, this code that you did here, where you're changing a date timestamp to, you know, an hours, minutes, seconds kind of thing. We actually already have a utility for that. You should use this utilities class. Yeah. Yeah. That, that comes up quite a bit. A big thing is code duplication, right? You don't repeat yourself, super core concept. So looking for those items and calling them out, even if it's, there's repetition, you know, not necessarily a, a function that already does this thing, but repetition inside of that same request, identifying those and calling them out. Hey, you could pull this out into a function and simplify this a whole bunch and make it a lot more maintained. I, I like it when somebody, they think they've come up with a great solution. They've, I've done this before, you know, write some great new code and then you get that code comment. We already have this in the utils package. You should have just called that. Like we've already solved this. <laughs> Other things we're looking for is, you know, are there any speed concerns? You know, did they do something that's that's going to take a hundred times longer than it should? You know? And oh yeah, so, could you parallelize your synchronous request to, you know, whatever? Or do you have nested loops where you're uh, you've increased your big o, big o big complexity o time, yeah. uh, unnecessarily? Because sometimes people sometimes people loop over two arrays, then array, and you know, it's like you've just You've just gotten an N square complexity when you didn't have to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it too is just thinking through what they're doing, right? Given the context of what you have, their commit message, the ticket, um, and their code, are they covering the edge cases that you can think about? Because, you know, it's always nice to have that that sounding board, uh, somebody else to look at something and think of it a little bit differently, kind of like you pointed out before, Spencer. And it's, are they covering these edge cases in a, you know, at all? And if so... Does it actually cover the edge case? Also, one of the things that we have is kind of our clean coding convention. And we actually believe in clean coding. So really quick, clean coding was a book written by Uncle Bob Martin or just Bob Martin. He likes to be called Uncle Bob. But he actually has some really good ideas and concepts in there of how people should code as far as, you know, long function names and long variable names and being able to explain what you're doing so you don't have to have tons of comments of what's going on. So one of the things I look for is we actually have put our developers through clean coding class. We, we have a Udemy course that we, we kind of basically force them to watch. And so we can all speak kind of the same language and, and have the same ways of representing code. And so I look to see, are they following those clean coding standards is one of my code review checks. Yep. Yeah. And that encompasses everything, right? From is your function huge? Are you encompassing a whole lot of lines? Is your merge commit? massive if so like well, i'm sorry you should go refactor that break it out some more simple readable understandable things yeah and going back to error handling clean code has some suggestions on how you handle error how you handle errors and do how you, you do uh, guards in your functions and you know are, are they actually doing that are they you know just, yeah just our conventions we've established that we like yep and for us it works great right it's 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 
this the methodology that we prescribe to. So I just want to kind of go through a list that we've created of best practices. And I know we've covered these. And so I'm just going to read them out, add any comments where we need to. So best practices with code reviews are keep them as short as possible. The the actual code commits that you're doing. That way somebody doesn't get buried and it's a lot of work if it's if it's too much, right? Next one is have a good comment or definition of what you did. Yeah, so. it's frustrating when you get that that merge request, even if it's small and it's like, oh, fixed bugs. Mm-hmm. Then cool. What bug did you fix? What context changed, right? Like tell me what's going on and preferably relate it to the ticket. Right. The code review, the merge request should accomplish one goal and one goal only. We talked about how we have some auto unit testing and prettier running. So prettier, it has to pass. The auto code formatting and lints have to pass. So that way, when the code reviewer goes to it, they're not trying to say, oh, your curly brackets on the wrong line or, or whatnot, or you have too many spaces between functions. Well, it removes that opinion. It can be automated. So you should. It's like, why spend your brain cells thinking about white space and curly brackets? And- yep. Yep. Uh, code reviews should start right away, even at the initiation of a project so that you can get helpful feedback from coworkers on, on how you're doing stuff and how you're architecting it. Code reviews should go bi-directional so that you have juniors can code review seniors and seniors can code review juniors. Yeah. Like I pointed out before, it's a, it's always a good learning experience. You know, some junior might be doing some weird, cool thing that they just learned about in school or whatever. And then vice versa, they get the experience of seeing what the seniors do. Well, speaking of junior devs, a lot of times they they have the time to really dig into some library technology and they may actually uh, sometimes, you know, I'll code review a junior and be like, I didn't know you could do that. You know, yeah, it could be like, a this language is really feature. Cool. I'm like, oh, like, oh, that's a great idea. And then finally, you know, did the CI, CD tests, did they pass or they break? You know, is there functionality that... That just isn't there. You kind of try to catch that with code reviews. Overall, I think code reviews are a great educational process. And so we highly encourage them at Red Sky. Uh, I would encourage anybody out there to, to not look at it as a, a cost sink, but as a, a improvement. And overall, if you actually look at it, I'm sure there's been studies done this. I don't have any right on my hand, but I guarantee that that the cost savings are there in the final product when you look through all the QA and bugs that are caught and captured. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the technical debt associated and just everything after you're going to pay for it either way, right? Might as well do it up front. Well, thank you for listening to another story. We'll be back next week with more stories, personal experiences, and advice on running a dev shop. Thank you. Thanks, thank guys. You.